This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's wonderful and a pleasure to see all these wonderful faces before us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase them in nur and iman. Brothers and sisters in Islam, <clears throat> not feeling very well today. But Alhamdulillah, I'm, don't worry, inshallah, it'll be a good class. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. What we're talking about are the Prophet series. We're talking about the stories of the Prophets, but we're actually focusing on what we can learn from them. I'm going to a bit more detail than the normal classes that you hear about the Prophet stories. So inshallah ta'ala, today will be the third part about the life of our Prophet Ibrahim alayhi as-salam. Who was here last week? Can I just get a show of hands? Good, so we have half of you are new faces as well. If you go on my Facebook page, I've got all the lessons, the classes that I've done here at this masjid, including the whole seerah of the Prophet and also from the beginning, the story of Adam alayhi salam up to now, Ibrahim alayhi salam uh, especially part one of the prophets and part two, they're very, very important for the 21st century millennials, you guys, the young people, because it talks a lot about evolution and what Islam stands on evolution in is in the beginning of time. So some really, really good points that you can look at. Uh, we can always go into much more detail, but really good points for you to have a look at, inshallah. So today, the lesson is part three and the final part about Prophet Ibrahim alayhi as-salam. So this is where we reached up to. Now, we reached up to the time when Ibrahim alayhi salam was ordered to slaughter his only son, Ismail alayhi salam. How did this happen? There is a verse in the Quran in Surah Ibrahim, verse number 39, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that Ibrahim alayhi salam, after he was kicked out of his father's home and his entire city when they tried to burn him, and he left because he had to, otherwise his life was in danger. His heart felt remorse and compassion towards his father and his people, but especially his father and his mother. And he said to his father, I will always ask Allah to forgive you, Dad. I will never forget about you. No matter what you think, may Allah guide your heart. I won't stop. And the believer who really loves someone, especially their parents, they never give up on them. The most important thing for them is their guidance. And then after he made that dua, in that surah, he said, and he was about, I, I would say not more than... 18 years old or so at the time when he said this dua, Allahu A'lam, he said, Rabbi habli min salihin Actually, this verse is in Surah Al-Safat, verse 101. He said, Rabbi habli min salihin At a very young age, he said, Oh my Lord, grant me a righteous son. Grant me a righteous son. He knows at this point 
that there is no one else on the face of the earth he knows about who believes in only Allah and worships only Allah alone. And Allah gives prophets a maturity level beyond ours. That's why he chooses them. But their test is greater. The more responsibility you have, the greater the test. And the greater the test, the greater of importance you are. But the greater of importance you are, the bigger the little mistakes of yours are. The reward is great, but the mistakes are great too. Because you've become a role model, so it's honorable. And Allah gives it to those who are patient, persevering, mature enough to handle it. So he says, Oh Allah, give me a righteous son. Why? Not because he favors the boy, but because he knows that in this entire world, he needs a man to carry on the legacy of truth. Because a woman is not going, she's going to be vulnerable in that given violent world that he was in. I mean, he was, he was thrown in a fire. He was beaten. He was taken away and dragged. A girl won't be handled that. And his, his heart can't hold that compassion. So he said, Oh Allah, give me min salihin a righteous son who will carry on the prophethood and the legacy and be able to move forward. Now, he could have asked, Oh Allah, give me more children, give me girls, give me... But that's not the way the prophets are. They teach us that when you ask Allah, when you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, be very respectful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And not just for personal greed. He didn't want personal greed. He didn't just want money and wealth and world and children. He wanted it for a purpose that pleases Allah. And that is for one, to carry on righteousness and the da'wah, the knowledge of truth and guidance to the people. The best person to do that was a righteous son that carries legacy after him. And he will carry his bloodline because a boy carries the bloodline of the parents, of the father. She, he carries the blood. So does the girl. But the boy, even if he gets married, he has children, the children carry his bloodline. But it's not the same with the mother. Because the loins and the, uh, the, uh, the origin of your genetics first comes from your father and then from your mother when it mixes with it. So Ibrahim said, Oh Allah, give me a righteous son. Now, subhanAllah, he made that dua when he was very young. And when did Allah give him that righteous son? Very late in age. In another surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Hud, uh, uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam says, Alhamdulillahi alladhi wahaba li ala al-kibari Ismaila wa Ishaq. All thanks and gratitude is to Allah who gave me my son Ismail and my son Ishaq in old age. So what does it tell us? When did he have his children? When he was very old. Now we don't know from the Sunnah, from Islam, how old Ibrahim was, but we take it when we don't have information and it doesn't harm our religion, we take it from biblical sources, from the Torah and the Injil. And the Bible, the Old Testament says that he was approximately 80 years old when he had Ismail alayhi salam. And the Bible in one section says that he was his only son when he put him to slaughter. But the only son he put to slaughter in the Bible is Ishaq mentioned, not Ismail. 
But then in another passage in the Bible, it says that he asked God to give him a son and he gave him Ishmael followed by Isaac. So if when he was slaughtering his son, remember the story, was his only son, how could it be Isaac when he already had Ismail before him? Even, actually I'll get to that inshallah. The point is, his first son was Ismail alayhi salam. And most likely, we don't, remember what we said about the Israelite traditions? If you remember, who can tell me what we said a few lessons ago? I used to tell you about when, when we have something from the from Israelite traditions, from the Bible, what do we do with it? What do we have, if we read information from the Bible and it's not in our religion, but it doesn't contradict our religion, what, what do we say? What did the Prophet peace be upon him tell us to do with it? Correct. As the brother said, don't believe in it, but don't deny it and say, we believe in whatever came from Allah in truth. It could be true, could be not true. Says he was 80 years old when he had Ismail. The Bible says he was 100 years old when he had Ishaq. Anyway, 80 years old, let's say, he was an old age. He had Ismail alayhi salam. How was Ismail alayhi salam born? He was not born from his... Ibrahim alayhi had two wives. The first wife was Sarah. And this is agreed in the Bible and the Quran. We share this story. The Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Quran. You know, the Christians, when they say to you the Bible, they mean the New Testament, the Injil. And the Jews, when they say the Torah, they mean the Old Testament, the one before the Injil, time of Musa. The New Testament, time of Isa, the Quran, time of Muhammad. And we've got the Zams of Dawood, David. It says that Sarah, and it's in our Sunnah as well. Ibrahim married her first. And then she couldn't have children. She was barren. And she had grown old. And she used to hear Ibrahim throughout his life asking Allah to give him a righteous son. And last week we spoke about Sarah going to Egypt with Ibrahim Long story, cutting story short. She returned back with the ex-slave of the Egyptian king, her name was Hajar She didn't believe in any of their religions. And when she came to Ibrahim as a slave to Sarah, she believed in the message of Prophet Ibrahim immediately. But she stayed a slave with Sarah and Sarah looked after her. And when Sarah grew very old, also in her 70s, she felt sorry for Ibrahim but as I said, the story is shared in the Bible as well. And she gifted Ibrahim Hajar as a wife because she was much younger than Sarah. And she was, she was under, under 40 or at least under menopause. She hadn't reached menopause yet. She could still have children. And Ibrahim married her as a second wife. And from her, Allah gave him his first son, Ismail I want you now to live with me for a minute here in the past. And, or, or actually try to feel with me here that Ibrahim salam is very old in age. His wife is barren. She can't have children. He's going to die and not leave any person behind him to carry on this religion. He's afraid he'll just die out. Of course, Allah subhanahu wa has different plans. He asked for his only son also out of a compassion as a father. He wants, he wants a child to feel, to share that love in a different way. Because your love with your wife or husband 
is different to the love that you have with your father and mother, with your siblings. And there is no love that can compare between the love of a parent to their child and a child to their parent. They're all different. So I say to the sisters, for example, don't get jealous of your mother-in-law. If you see your husband love her so much, he will never love her the same way he loves you. And mother-in-laws, don't get jealous of your, sister, of your daughter-in-laws. Your son will never love her the same way as he loves you. Even if he shows a lot of love to her, it's not the same love. You don't want that type of love. The wife doesn't want the intense love a son has to his mother, because she's not his mother. And the mother doesn't want the intense love she sees her son have towards her daughter, I mean her, her, son, um, her daughter-in-law, because she doesn't want that type of love. She wants an intense motherly love. Anyway, Ibrahim wanted to share that love as a human, because prophets are also human, isn't that correct? So Allah gives him this son. And this son grows up to be a few months old when Allah tells them to go and leave Hajar and Ismail in the middle of the desert. I spoke about this story last week, I'm not going to repeat it again. And the Zamzam well came out, we all know about Zamzam water, a miraculous water that still flows till today, 5,000, 6,000 years now, and it's never stopped, subhanAllah. And you can read about it. And then he grew up there near Zamzam, Ismail alayhi salam. And Hajar with the tribe called Banu Jurhum. Jurhum tribe ran away from Yemen. They were original Arabs. Original, original Arabs. They did not mix with any other culture. They were original Arabs. We don't know how far away the Arabs date back. Allahu Alam. It's like the Indians. We don't know where they came from. And we don't know where the Arabs came from. But they all resonate from Nuh alayhi salam anyway. But these Arabs mixed with Ismail alayhi salam. And he married from them. And he had children from them. So there were a mix of him, from, which was from Babylonia, Iraq, and a mix of the Arabs. And so came the Middle Eastern Arabs today that are called Arab Mustaraba in Arabic, meaning they became Arabs from a cross-culture or a cross-marriage. In Islam, it's encouraged, if it works out, if there's compatibility, to intermarry between different cultures. What's important is that there is compatibility and same values, same mindset and same goals. Yani, it's not really about the difference in culture, it's really about compatibility and whether your marriage would work marrying a person with a different culture. It doesn't really matter whether you're from a different culture or the same culture, what matters is compatibility. I've seen people marry from their same family and terrible disaster happens. And people marry from other families, disasters happen and vice versa. So the key is compatibility and studying whether you share the same values and are able to live together. Brothers and sisters in Islam, Ismail married from the Arabs and he learned the Arabic language he became one of the best Arabic-speaking people. He used to make poetry in the old, ancient, classical Arabic literature. So he was an amazing poet, amazing linguistician in Arabic. And it is said that he is the one that used to hunt wild horses and tame them before the cowboys existed. Ismail, alayhi salam, therefore, was loved by the Jurum. <clears throat> now, before Ismail السلام, got married, we'll come back to him. He was about, and we don't know exactly how old he was, but he was a young boy. Maybe 14 or 15. He had reached the beginning of puberty, adolescent. Because Allah says in the Quran, in Surah As-Safat, Allah said, أرى في المنام أني أذهب 
يذبحك فانظر ماذا ترى قال يا أبد افعل ما تؤمر ستجدني They're emotional verses and very deep in meaning for those who read them and reflect upon them. It says, and when he, meaning Ismail when he was old enough to go about and work with his father, with him, meaning with Ibrahim it means when he became old enough to do, to help his father in what a man does in life. And usually that's puberty. You start to be able to do what a man does or at least start to learn what a man does. One day, Ibrahim said to him, he said to his son Ismail one day, My son, I see in my dream all the time that I am slaughtering you. I'm putting a knife to your neck and I'm slaughtering you. So consider and tell me what your thoughts are. What do you think? He didn't ask him what he think I should do. He didn't tell him where it came from. He did, he did not tell him any more than that. Ismail is also a prophet. And, he's, and, and Ibrahim, السلام, Ibrahim, remember when, when he said when he was younger, what was the dua that we opened up with? In Surah Al-Safat, he said, Rabbi habli min as-salihin. Oh my Lord, give me a righteous son. A righteous son means he comes with a righteous mind and a righteous heart. This was the time to enjoy that gift. Ibrahim wants to see. He loves seeing, just like when he wanted to see how Allah gives life out of death from when he took the birds. We talked about that last week. He wanted to see this righteous son and how righteous he is and enjoy this gift. So he asks him, what do you think? <laughs> what do you mean, what do I think? Uh, one of us, our dad comes up to us and says, I've been seeing in my dream that I've been slaughtering you, son. You'd flip it, you'd freak out. You'd lose it. That's saying, slaughtering me? What the heck? Does he hate me? What's going on? You've got it in for me. You want to run away, right? You get scared. He says, I've been seeing in my dream. And he says, ara. Ara means always. I'm seeing it many times. <laughs> right? That I'm slaughtering you. I'm always seeing it, son. Ismail knows that his father's a prophet. And Ismail is a prophet. Immediately he knew that prophets' dreams mean one thing. What are they? They are a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is authentic. Rasul sallallahu told us the dreams of the prophets are from Allah. He even went further, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu went further to tell us that after prophethood, when prophets all die, there's a small portion of inspiration that still happens. It doesn't contradict Islam. It's not new knowledge or new information. It's just this connection, this relationship between the heavens and the people. A spiritual connection that you actually see and can hear sometimes. And that is righteous dreams. You can have righteous dreams. And the ulama, the scholars, unanimously agree that there are three types of dreams a person has. The first type of dream are dreams from your subconscious mind. They're the stuff that your mind thinks about subconsciously. You don't think about them in the daytime, but they occur in more feelings like fears, hopes, imagination, 
things that you look at and see and talk about mostly, they repeat themselves in your dream. And it tells you a lot of, these are good, like they're actually interesting dreams because they tell you a lot about yourself. And there are doctors and, and, and experts who talk to you about subconscious dreams, your fears and hopes and that. So these are subconscious dreams. The second one are dreams from the shaitan, from devil, the jinns. And they're just dreams that are rubbish dreams. They have no meaning. Sometimes, most of them, they're scary. They're dark. They don't really mean anything. They're just trying to play games with you. Don't take them seriously. And the third type of dreams are the righteous dreams from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes Allah may send a person who has died that you know from your family. You see them in your dream. Prophet told us a person has died and you see them in your dream. Most likely there's a message. Sometimes you see the hereafter, the day of judgment, you know, coming. Sometimes you see a dream that is short and bright and someone gives you a message or you see a meaning to it. And then you go and ask someone you trust. And someone you trust, meaning you trust that they will be giving you good advice. And want someone who has knowledge, you respect their knowledge. You ask people like that. And usually these are righteous dreams. They're usually short, they're clear, um, and they have a peculiar message. So brothers and sisters, this is part of prophethood that stays with us. It doesn't mean you're a prophet. Even a non-Muslim can see this, these things. Allah may guide you or warn you. I have a lot of teenagers who say to me at school that, you know, they, they see the world's ended and they got scared. And I say to them, subhanAllah, this is ironic because a lot of teenagers, as soon as they hit puberty, they see these dreams and they also they also see bad dreams like it's as if the shaitan wants you to go astray but they also see warnings and signs and i said to them, this is guidance from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he's always there he's always guiding he's always showing you before it's too late or if you're doing good deed you see it so may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us righteous dreams now brothers and sisters some people say i don't see dreams at all they say well that's how the prophets were as well they either saw a dream that came from allah or there was no dream at all anyway ibrahim salam saw this dream over and over again that he's slaughtering his son Bear with, stay with me. He did not see himself killing his son. His son wasn't dying. His son was alive in his dream and he saw him slaughtering his son. But Ibrahim salam assumed that the dream meant he has to slaughter and kill his son by command of Allah. So he comes up to his son and doesn't interpret the dream at all. Nor does he tell him it's a command from Allah. He says, I've been seeing this dream over and over again. What do you think? And that's... A hidden message about how a father should have a relationship with their son not about telling him I'm I'm killing you in my dream but to have an open conversation with your son before carrying out an act you say son daughter tell me about your thoughts this is what I'm thinking of doing what do you think you have an open conversation you don't keep him in the dark and you you talk at their age now he is Allah is saying he's now in what would be considered adulthood basically to us. Once you reach puberty, you're an adult. You're able to do what a man does. And he said, what do you think? Give me your thoughts about this. So Ismail says to his father, oh father, do exactly as you have been commanded. You will find me by the will of Allah among the patient among the patient ones. Now remember when Allah said, we gave Ibrahim salam a son who was Halim. Halim means patient. So a righteous and patient persevering son. Halim is different than Sabr. Sabr means to be patient. But Halim means to be patient against hardships, 
trials and people. So you, 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 don't, you don't jump to conclusions and judge very quick. You, you give time. You, you go with it. You try to advise people more and more. You don't judge them quickly. You, you'll go for years and years, right, persevering. Ismail said, I will find among the Sabirin. Here, Sabr is different than Halim because Sabr here now is going to have to be persevering against the hardship. A big hardship. What is it? He's going to sit there with a knife to his neck by his own father who loves him and he loves him and he's going to get killed. This requires true sabr. He said, do as you've been commanded, which tells us that Ismail knew that it was a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And not one of them hesitated the command of Allah. Not, they did not stutter. They did not think. They did not hesitate. One is saying, this is what I'm seeing. What do you think? The other one says to him, do exactly as you've been commanded. Not only that, by the will of Allah, I'm going to be patient. Don't worry. Do exactly as you have been commanded. You know, it makes sense that Allah tells us about Ibrahim السلام, in the Quran that he is the one who named us Muslimin. Did you know that in the Quran? About Ibrahim السلام, Allah says, muslimin He is the one, Ibrahim السلام, who named you Muslimin from the beginning, before. So before Prophet Muhammad before Isa, Musa, all of them was Ibrahim And what does Muslimin mean? It has many meanings, but the origin of the word Muslim, to surrender and submit to the peaceful nature of the heart that you were born with, and that is connected to Allah. So if Allah commands you to do something, you submit and surrender. There's no other, there's nothing beyond Allah. He knows most, he knows everything. He is the final judge. No one can know more than him. No one can be so sure than him. He's the one you trust. You can't trust anyone else than him. So if he commands you with something, he's commanding you, you know that it has to be right and it's final. So you submit to it. That's the meaning of Muslim. You submit and surrender to the um, command of Allah. Also, to add to that, the Prophet said, do you know what a Muslim is? They said Allah and his messenger knows best. He said the Muslim is the one whose tongue and hands are safe. People are safe from his tongue and hands. Salima, which means to be at, to be at security. So Muslim also means security and peace of the heart. So when you surrender to your Creator, fellas, you're at peace now. But so long as you're not, you are with false. So you're always in constant battle, debating. And that's why when you're following the false, you talk too much. You're always, why? Because you want to convince yourself that you're right. And you want acknowledgement. So if you find someone continue to debate and argue too much and talking, they're talking rubbish because they're not really sure of themselves. They want to get acknowledgement and make sure. But so long as you're following the truth and you're sure of it, you're at peace. You don't need to argue and to debate even if nobody follows you. Isn't that correct? You're at peace and security. Ibrahim is the emblem of truth. He's all about truth and surrender and serenity. That's it. Follow the truth, you're all right. So Ibrahim and Ismail submitted completely. Then Allah says, Allah says, and when both of them surrendered to Allah's command. You see the word surrender, aslama. This is the real meaning of Islam. Real meaning. Because you will not give in to your Creator, to any command, unless in here, you truly and honestly believe in him wholeheartedly and trust in him in any command he gives you. True Islam. 
And Allah is giving us a very extreme example of Islam without wanting us to do the same thing. But only once in the history of mankind, Allah did it with this prophet and this son. Just to give us a symbolic meaning of what Islam is, a symbolic example of what Islam is. So he said, When they both surrendered to Allah's command, and what? Now, I want you to focus on me here because the wa and is going to be mentioned a lot and there's a significance to it. And Ibrahim flung the sun down on his forehead. Now, in English, it loses a lot of the meaning. So I'm going to go back into the Arabic. It says, Talla comes from the meaning of a boulder or a hill. So he put him on something high. We can imagine maybe put him on a boulder, a big rock. A flat rock on the top, put him up high, not on the ground. So, he put him up high with his body. Lil Jabin, close to the sides of his forehead. <laughs> I'm getting technical for those who want to know. Because in Arabic, Jabha is this one that you make sajda on, it's right at the front. Jabin in Arabic means these sides, the temporals, the temporal side. So he says, Lil Jabin, and it didn't say Alan Jabin, for those who know Arabic. Alan is on. Lil, close to. So it's giving you a descriptive image of how Ibrahim had his son lying on a boulder, kind of on his side, but leaning downwards, but not directly on his stomach, not flat on his face. But Ibrahim couldn't see his face, he was behind him. Because he doesn't want to see his son's face while he's slaughtering him, otherwise he won't be able to carry the commandment, lest his compassion of the father hits him and he can't do it. He turned him away from his face, but not flat on the ground, close to his temporal lobe, so that he can slaughter backwards from the front there, very easily and swiftly without making a mistake. He doesn't want his son to suffer either. Because if you put him flat on the ground, he's going to either cut him from the back, which is not the way to slaughter, or from the front, which is going to be hard for him. And he didn't want to see the knife, so from the back he's going to see himself going for it. Now some scholars said that he was from the back, but I think this is weak. The point is, Now listen here. Allah says, once they surrendered both, and he had placed him almost on his forehead on that boulder. When both surrendered to Allah's command and Ibrahim flung the sun down on his forehead, we cried out, O oh Ibrahim. Now here they missed out the and. In Arabic it should be. And we cried out, O oh Ibrahim, you have indeed fulfilled your dream. Thus do we reward the good doers. This is how we reward the good doers. Lots of meaning and deep meaning, lots of tafsir on this. Did he slaughter his son? No. In fact, in a narration, I'm not sure of its authenticity, probably in Israelite tradition, it says that Ibrahim cut with the knife, but the knife would not cut. Just like Allah orders a fire not to burn, He can command a knife not to cut. And in that narration, it says that 
It's in Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya, by the way, a book with extensive historical book called Bidaya wa Nihaya by Imam Ibn Kathir, and also in Stories of the Prophet by Ibn Kathir. It says that, and he has a lot of Israelite traditions, by the way, Ibn Kathir. He says, when he cut, it wouldn't cut. So we tried again and again, and his son would say to him, Ya Abi Shit, O Dad, slice harder. You're not slicing hard enough. Maybe that's the point. Slice harder, Dad. Shit. Allah. This true meaning, yeah. Allah is the one who commanded it. This has to be right. But he would not cut. And Allah called out to him. Now, Allahu Alam is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's Jibreel. Most like a Jibreel alayhi salam from Allah called out to Ibrahim alayhi salam. Oh, Ibrahim, you have fulfilled the dream. Who remembers what the dream was? What was the dream? Slaughtering his son. Killing his son or slaughtering him? Slaughtering him. So did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala contradict himself at all? No. Ibrahim understood he's got to kill him, but he went too far. This is the meaning of true submission. Ya Allah, I'm ready, I'm just going to go all the way. Allah said, no, no, no. I didn't show you that I was killing you, in other words. I'm paraphrasing. I showed you that you're slaughtering. Meaning you're going to carry out a command that is a true trial that I'm going to test you with. But not to kill your son. I don't want you to kill your son. Allah doesn't want anyone to kill their children. Allah says in Surah Al-Isra, وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَوْلَادَكُمْ خَشْيَةً إِمْلَاقًا نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُهُمْ وَإِيَّاكُمْ إِنَّ قَتْلَهُمْ كَانَ خِطَهُمْ كَبِيرًا And never kill your children because you fear that you will not be able to provide them in their life financially and food and shelter. In fact, it is us who provide them and if you hadn't already figured it out, and we also provide you. How are you surviving? Allah is making you survive. So the one who makes you survive will make your children survive. Don't, uh, don't get it wrong. Don't ever think that. So don't ever think that you kill your children. And this in modern day would be, can easily, it, 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 it's valid to count abortion as part of it because abortion is killing your children. So Allah does not command you to kill your children, but this was an exception to bring out an important lesson from there. And to show us the importance of Ibrahim and Ismail and righteousness and the meaning of true Islam. That if Allah were to command you to do that, will you be able? Of course you will not be able. And Allah knows you won't be able, so He's not going to test us like that. He will accept our Islam much, 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 much lower, 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 lower in meaning. Way lower than what Allah deserves to be listened to. Way lower. Allah doesn't command us everything that He deserves. He way lower. And He'll call you a Muslim. And you'll enter paradise just because of that. Simple commands. But for Ibrahim's man, big commands as a precedent. This is where it all starts, this is the benchmark. You have done the ru'ya. I can go more in this tafsir, but I think we'll keep it. We won't get too, too deep. I don't want to lose you. But I just want to let you know that when you read the Arabic of this, of all these verses I read, and the more you know the Arabic, subhanAllah, the more your heart moves with it. But when you read it in English, it just gives you the basic meaning, I'll tell you. Like even, I didn't even talk about when he said, Ya Bunayi, oh my son. It's not really, oh my son. Bunayi is different than Ya Ibni, but that's another story. Anyway, it just shows fatherly compassion and really makes you live the moment with expressive, deep expressive uh, terms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and uses. I just want to make that point here. May Allah grant you the understanding of Arabic and myself. I'm still learning 
from the cradle till to the grave. My brothers and sisters, Allah says, we called out to him, you have fulfilled the dream. And then he says, this is how we reward the righteous. Well, the good doers. Al-Muhsineen in Arabic does not mean just somebody who does good stuff. <laughs> Al-Muhsin means that whatever God has commanded you to do, like the minimum stuff, the compulsory stuff, or whatever your duty is, you do much more than that without anyone asking you to do it. You do it out of your own goodness. Because it's coming out of your own goodness, and because it's voluntary and no one asked you to do it, Allah calls you Muhsin. Ibrahim and Ismail were ready to do what? Death. Allah didn't ask him to kill, he said slaughter. And they were ready to go even further, and Allah says, You are Muhsinin already. Don't worry. You've proven yourself. I don't want blood and, and, and meat. And same with us when we slaughter the Udhiyah on Eid al Adha. Remember the slaughter of the sacrifice and we give out its meat to the poor and the needy in our families? The Udhiyah, the Qurban. Allah says in the Quran, Allah does not receive the meat from your sacrifices. Nor its blood. But what does he get out of it? He gets what's inside that heart of yours. Why did you do what you did? That's the taqwa that I want from you. The righteousness, the God-fearance, the closeness to me. The fact that you obeyed me and took my commands and what I love, valued it and made it important. That connects you to me. So my brothers and sisters in Islam, he called him a muhsin and he says, anyone who does an act of ihsan, of goodness beyond what you asked for, Allah says, I will always reward you in two ways. How? One thing we see from Ibrahim and Ismail is as they're going through that very, 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 very hard trial, it's unimaginable, we can't even perceive it, subhanAllah. He is able to do it. The fact that he is able to submit and be that strong to carry out that command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a reward on its own. When we, you and I go through hardships, sometimes it gets very hard. And you're able to have that strength to go through it and live on and stand and not give up. That is an example or a sign of you being a good doer in normal life. Like before the hardship came, you, you naturally do more than what is asked of you. And with that comes a strength of being able to be resilient during hardship. Opposite to when a person is selfish and greedy all the time and me, me, me. When hardship comes to them, what happens to them? They fail miserably. But the people who do beyond, they are selfless. In hardships, they're able to persevere. Even non-Muslims. But there's one more thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala adds to the Muslim. He said, the second reward is, and from that hardship that you persevered with, from it, from that, from that ingredient of hardship, Allah brings out for you a benefit to your advantage after. All you've got to do is just be patient through it. And there is always a benefit, advantage to you from persevering through any hardship in life. The benefit is in this world first. And if you're a believer in the hereafter, you'll get the benefit too. Allah said in the Quran, Indeed, with every hardship, 
There is countless benefits and good that comes out of it. And then he repeats it. In case you didn't get it the first time, every hardship has eases after it. Or with it. I'm sorry, I actually misquoted it. Meaning with hardship is ease at the same time. So it's in other words, when the qadr, the hardship comes down from, from heaven, Allah does qadr, fate, destiny, that has to happen to you. It comes down as a package. And in that package, there are several things. There's pain. There's a bit of suffering. There's some hardships. There's time. It never lasts. It's always temporary. And in that package are all these other goodies that start to come out and show once the ugliness goes away. Always. That's what it means. With every package of hardship in it are hidden pearls and beauties that stay with you afterwards. Big hardships, you learn great lessons from them and it helps you during life. And in the hereafter. So Allah is giving us that example. Allah says, this was indeed the most clearest of trials. Like there is no trial that can be greater than that to anybody. Allah says this is the greatest trial. That the object was not to get your son slaughtered through you but to test you to see that you did not hold anything of the world dearer than Allah. Do you understand? Can anyone be dearer than your own child to you? No. You'll be lying if you say your parents are dearer to you than your children. Because that's naturally not true. There is no one on earth that you like to succeed more than you, except who? One person. Who is it? If you failed in something, who would you love to see succeed in that way beyond you? Your own child. Because your child is an extension of you. You see? And here Allah is telling him, slaughter that which I just gave you when you had grown old and you've been asking for for it for 80 years and finally when I gave you the only son and because you want him to live on you're going to kill him so you're going to live on he's going to die that's basically what he gave me the image of and I've commanded you so you better do it he doesn't question doesn't hesitate nothing and does it did he have compassion was he it was very hard on him very hard that's why when I said to you he said to his son Ya Bunay the word Bunay in Arabic means little child, my little son. And usually you use that expression when something that's going to hurt you badly, hurt your heart, some compassion towards your child that makes you cry and burn on the inside. You don't just say, hey you, hey son. No. Or his name, you say, yeah, Bunay. It means, oh my dear loving son, oh my dear, 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 dear son. It's like compassion and it's temporary. I have seen in my dream many times I'm slaughtering you. What do you think? He can't even get himself to tell his son, I'm going to do it. You see? So he did go through a terrible, terrible um, trial. Very hard. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Allah then said, And we ransomed him 
with a mighty sacrifice. A mighty sacrifice. What was that sacrifice? There are two narrations about it. And I think the second one is more correct, but I'll tell you the first one. The first one that a lot of scholars say is that they heard a voice call out. They looked back and it was a familiar voice. They saw the angel Jibreel in a form that they were familiar with. And he had with him the biggest ram, male sheep, ram that they had ever seen. None like it on earth. White as snow. <laughs> I just remembered that uh, nursery rhyme. His wool was white as snow. Do you remember that one? Anyway, big white as snow, massive eyes, wide eyes, extremely big horns that kept wrapping around as if they twirling around as if they had no, no end. Massive. It was probably the size of a, of, a, of a cow, of a small cow. Beef, almost that big. And it was a, a ram from Jannah. It was actually from Jannah. It's a hadith. Uh, I just have to look back to where it's sourced. It just came to my head now. And it's authentic that four animals from this world will go to Jannah. Every other animal will turn into soil. And these four animals are the sheep, the ram that Ibrahim Islam's ram that came from Jannah will return back to Jannah. The hudhud, the woodpecker of Prophet Sulaiman, will come to that inshallah. The dog that slept and joined with the youth of the cave will come to that inshallah in Surah Al Kahf. And lastly, uh, anyone know? Because I forgot. The camel, the she camel of Salih, Barakallahu Fiq, and its baby. Allah then said, and we preserved for him a good name among posterity. Posterity. In other words, Allah says, and because of that act, we left Ibrahim with the glory of his great name till the end of time after him. His name lived on. And this act lived on. And Allah let this act stay fresh in our memories and minds now nearly 6,000 years later and on. Is that correct? Every year in Eid al-Adha, what do we do? Millions of people go to Hajj. And on the 10th day of the Hijjah, after Arafat, they all slaughter those sheep and give it out to the poor and needy. Can you imagine 3 million sheep? being the human rights activists are not going to like this man but when you know what their purpose is they're given out when you when you look at now did i say human rights because they consider sheep like human man <laughs> animal rights animal rights so the uh the animal rights people but when you look at the need of humans you'll find that the amount of poverty and the amount of death from starvation far exceeds this. And what happens on that, which happens nowhere else in the entire universe, no religion, no people. Three million sheep in one day are slaughtered and their meat and everything about them is not wasted. It's given out to every poor and hungry person on the face of the earth that they can reach. And you're allowed to eat from it as well and enjoy it as well as the Hajj. Not only that, every Muslim in the world, if they're not on Hajj, they are recommended by our Sunnah 
to also slaughter a sheep on behalf of their family unit. So the father of the family, one sheep on behalf of his wife and his children. If she's a single woman, single mother, her father or whoever is next in line among her family, but she can also, the woman can also slaughter on her own behalf. But the father, the head of the family, if it's the father or the older brother, whoever it is that's in charge of the family unit, who is responsible, not in charge, but responsible to provide them and care for them, protect them, he slaughters one sheep on behalf of the entire family. And as the Prophet Muhammad did, he once slaughtered a sheep and he said, this is on behalf of me and my family, oh Allah. And the rest of the Muslims did it as well. Okay, it's just that for about nine days, ten days before it, the person slaughtering the sheep, usually the father, whoever it is, can't clip your nails or cut your hair. Okay, in that time. The rest of the family can. I got asked this question once. If we are intending the Uthiyah and we're not on Hajj, is the whole family, no one allowed to cut their hair or clip their nails? I said no. The Sunnah, the Hadith, talks about the person who is slaughtering it, so the father. No one else. The children, the wife don't have to, and its daughters don't, don't do that. They can still cut their hair and clip their nails. And actually, it is not haram, the correct opinion, but a makruh act, and it's highly recommended that you don't clip your nails and cut your hair. Why? So that you can share some or part of the actions of the people in Hajj. So you can, it's all about unity and connection, having us all be connected and have a relationship with them. Because they're the most important people on the day of, of Uthiyah, right? Of, of day of Hajj, the Hajj people. And we connect with them by sharing an act with them. And that is not clipping our hair or nails. Not clipping your hair and nails it has a symbol, you know, in nature that when you clip your hair and nails, it means you're grooming yourself and you're getting yourself ready and whatever. So the idea is to uh, just move away from the luxuries a little bit. Luxury of the world, materialism. And one of those symbols is Islam. If you went to Hajj, you shave your hair for the men and the women cut a little bit of it off and you wear those simple clothing. It's all about moving away from materialism and selfishness and becoming selfless and getting used to that. This is what Islam teaches us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us understanding and patience. Brothers and sisters, and so this act was as a result of that particular slaughter, command, command of slaughter at the time of Ibrahim salam and Ismail. And he had honored him because of that. And this is the reward of Ibrahim and Ismail till the end of time. Allah didn't just leave him alone like that. Allah then praises Ibrahim salam, saying, Salamun ala Ibrahim kathalika najzil muhsineen innahu min ibadina al-mu'mineen Allah says, And we preserved for him a good name among posterity. Peace be upon Ibrahim. Thus do we reward the good doers. And like that, we will also give you till the end of time, us, everyone who does good deeds, we will also reward you in the same way and make you have a good reputation and make your name last and make you be a person of goodly character and rewards and so on and so forth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and, 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 says, and when he took his son and when he placed him on the rock and when and we called upon him, O oh, Ibrahim, you have... Why and and? Here and means they're in a sequence. One's happening after the other, but also at the same... As a sequence in one go, in one story. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with him all the way. He's carrying it out and Allah is watching and he is acknowledging. All at the same time it's happening. 
So there was Allah's watchful eyes. When you go through hardships, Allah does not leave you alone. He is with you. So Allah says, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِ عَنِّي And if my worshippers ask you about me, I am close فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ I will respond to the person who calls to me. If, not if, sorry. As he calls me. إِذَا is a plural conditional is a plural condition it doesn't make sense in English so in Arabic we say in and either in means if you just do one thing then I'll give you this for that but when you say either it means Allah wants you to always talk to him like have it a habit my wish was always always talking to me always calling always asking me ask him even about your shoelace ask him it's not disrespectful it means that you are close to Allah and be respectful in the way you ask oh Allah guide me Allah will always be there. Brothers and sisters in Islam, a few points now to learn from this. There's a lot of issues, there's a lot of lessons about sabr here, patience. And Prophet Muhammad said, As-sabr wal-iman kar-ra'si wal-jasad. Hadith is in Bukhari. That patience and iman, faith, is like the head and the body. In other words, if you don't have a head, your body can't survive. Isn't that correct? Patience and Iman, head and body. They're always together to survive. Ibrahim was created to be the emblem of trials and patience and every hardship you can imagine. Prophet Muhammad inherited this from his great-grandfather Ibrahim. Muhammad came from Ismail and also Prophet Muhammad went through every trial you can imagine. Patience is three types. When hardship befalls you and you can't do anything, you just sit there and you get along with your life as much as you can and you don't forget Allah, you don't give up, you don't start disbelieving, you don't start losing the plot, you don't start swearing and doing bad things like the whole world hates you or you hate the whole world. You wait and you continue to pray to Allah, you continue to speak to Allah. You can't do anything else. That's one patience, sickness or whatever it is. The second type of patience Whatever Allah has commanded you to do, don't give up in doing it. So continue to persevere in goodness. That's another type of patience. And the third type of patience is, whatever is forbidden, be patient in not doing it. All of these require patience. They're not easy. And this is where all the, this is basically everything in our religion. If you are able to be patient with these three things, you rise in the higher degrees. And when you do them, when you fail in them, there is always a way out. Repent, ask Allah to forgive you, even if it's a million times. So long as you are sincere, always. You don't have to, you don't have to tell anybody, just tell Allah's prayer. So brothers and sisters, this is what I wanted to say about that. So Allah then says, we've only got a few minutes. He said, oh, by the way, I want to say something really important here. It says, we are often by nature more worryful, like we worry, about the outcome of something that scares us. Something happens, you get a letter, tells you something, in trouble with the police, or you're in trouble from family, or you get grades, or a school sends you some bad letter, or uh, a tragedy happens in your family, or something that's about to happen in the future, or, some, or a doctor tells you something bad news, whatever it may be. Or there is news about your business failing, or losing your job, or, or there's fear of something bad that will happen in the future. Naturally, we overthink 
we actually think that it's going to be worse than what it actually becomes. It's na naturally we think like that. And what Prophet ﷺ teaches us is that when Allah is about to send down a hardship to test you with it, He sends with it the medicine to help you get through it. All you have to do is expect that medicine and rely on Allah by expecting that. You've got to rely and say, Oh Allah, I know that you will not test me with something I cannot bear. And Allah says that. Allah does not give you a burden more than what you can bear. So you can, you can always get through it, inshallah. He sends down the help. If you realize as soon as the time comes and whatever you are fearing happens, 99.9% of the time, it was nowhere near what you thought. Sometimes you say, oh, it's worse. But that's only because you, you may have started thinking that way and drove yourself that way. So my brothers and sisters, most of the time, relax. Well, yeah, it's very easy to say relax. Try to remember that Allah is there. And don't stop your salat. Talk to people who give you comfort and you respect and trust and fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing wrong with that. Do whatever it takes for you to get through it. If you need to write, if you need to talk it out, you need to vent a little bit. But be careful how you do that, inshallah. Nothing wrong with that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises you He will be there. Brothers and sisters in Islam, after that Allah said, Allah said, and we gave him the good news of Ishaq, a prophet, and among the righteous ones. So after Ismail Allah gave him Ishaq. I'll just tell you the story of how we came to him, okay? How we had Ishaq. So we leave Ismail back in, in Mecca, over there in the deserts, and he's growing up. Ismail grows up, he gets married. And then his mother dies, Hajar She dies approximately at the age of 70 or so. And Ibrahim became very saddened for her loss. And he didn't get to live with her for very long. He spent more time with Sarah, which was the command of Allah subhanahu wa And Hajar had a different purpose that Allah had written for her. And Ismail was married to this woman from Bani Jurhum. And I'll get back to that story afterwards. So Ishaq. How did it happen? Allah says in the Quran that Has there come to you the story of the honored guests that came to Ibrahim Two angels, no three angels, they were Jibreel, Mikael and Israfil. They came in the form of very handsome men to Ibrahim and knocked on his door. Now they came in a form Ibrahim is not used to, he's never seen them look like that. So he thought they were real people, but strangers, not from the land. And they looked very righteous. Ibrahim has always seen people who are disobedient and don't want to follow the obedience of Allah. These guys looked righteous, they looked like good, wise, noble people. So they knocked on his door, he opened, and the first thing they said was, Allah says, When they entered his home. So he opened and, he, and they entered. They didn't wait for his permission. They entered. And immediately as they were entering, they're saying, Salaman. 
which means a greeting. Peace upon you. Now you'd have to know Arabic to understand something here. If you realize said salam man. So man. He replied, Qala salamun. What's the difference? One is man, the other one is mun. In English, it makes no difference. Peace, peace. They both mean peace, but in Arabic, mun and man makes a big difference. So they said, فَقَالُوا سَلَامًا And he said, قَالَ سَلَامٌ قَوْمٌ مُنْكَرُونَ He said, peace also be to you, you seem to be a group of strangers. Like, we don't know you, you're strangers, not from Islam. What's the difference between them saying salaman and him replying salamun? Very important. Salaman, without going to Arabic grammar because it will go right over your heads. Salaman, by itself like that, is a pronoun, but it's an action. So they said, peace be upon you. Now when he said salamun, it's a pronoun, but it's a higher statement. It's higher than mun. Higher than man. Mun is higher. Meaning it's, it's a more honorable reply. Why did Ibrahim reply a more honorable reply? Well, because Allah SWT wants us to be like that. He said, وَإِذَا حُيِّتُمْ بِتَحِيَّةٍ فَحَيُّوا بِأَحْسَنَ مِنْهَا بِأَحْسَنَ مِنْهَا أَوْ رُدُّوهَا إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ حَسِيبًا When you are greeted with a salutation, then return it with a better one. Or at least the same. Surely Allah takes good count of everything. Anyone who greets you, Muslim or non-Muslim, anyone, give him or her reply a better greeting. Add something to it. If they say hello, you say, and hello to you, how are you? Assalamu alaikum wa alaikum assalam. Now, if you don't want to say to someone, you don't want to say wa alaikum you can say wa alaikum assalam. And your presence is welcome, welcome, something, you add something to it. Got to always try to give the same or better. And that's the character of a Muslim, anyway. Even if you don't like a person and they greet you, you have to greet the same, at least, or a little bit more. If you don't like them, just repeat the same one. Some people don't even reply, Wa alaykum as Why? Who's that loser? Doesn't deserve my salam. Who said that your salam aslan means anything to God? How do you even know that you are so self-righteous? <laughs> Maybe your salam doesn't mean anything. Maybe you're better off not saying wa alaykum as because it doesn't mean anything. Some people they say wa alaykum as to you, and it's like they're swearing at you. And some people say salam wa alaykum as say, I wish you never had said it. I don't want your salam. If it's going to be like that, it's more like a stab. Not like that. So, Assalamu Alaikum Wa Alaikum Assalam. So, when you say Alaikum Assalam, you are doing it for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Because what Allah says, He says, Surely Allah takes good count of everything. He doesn't let that be lost. If you felt that person doesn't deserve your salam, Allah knows that you deserve it. So, He counts it for you. Do you understand? Just change your intention. And step on your pride and, and, and your, uh, what do you call it, ego. Husband and wife especially. Oh man, the sarcasm between them and 
salam becomes like a swear word between them. I don't know. So make it genuine for the sake of Allah. For the sake of Allah. And lastly, brothers and sisters, he said, Allah says, he went secretly to his family and said, and made immediately a roasted fat cow. <laughs> I always hate that word, fat cow. So the, he went and made fat, a fat cow, a big cow, a chubby cow, a big meaty cow, and he brought it roasted and ready for the guests. It shows us the generosity to the guest. And he put it to them. And they started putting their hand in there and bringing their hand to their mouth, but they would not eat because they eat with their hands. Very healthy, by the way. Eating with their hands. I eat with a knife, with a, with a spoon as well. Sometimes. Don't think I'm you know, always eating with my hands. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So it's, all, it's good to eat with your hands too. Just watch them. They ate with their hands, but they wouldn't put the food in their mouth. So Ibrahim Allah says, When he saw their hands not entering their mouth, he knew who they are and he became scared. He didn't become scared because they were angels. He knew they were angels. He knew. Nakirahum means when you realize something, but that something that you realize, you wish you didn't realize it. Why? These angels have come in a different form that he's used to. In a different situation, the only explanation that he can think of was, it's bad news. Has there someone in his family done something wrong that Allah has sent the angels to punish? Because in the Arab tradition as well, or in the ancient tradition, if, somebody, if a guest arrives unwelcomed and they don't eat from your food, it means they intend something bad. But he knew they were angels and he thought Allah has sent them for something bad because it's a different situation. Immediately they said to him, La takhaf, don't be afraid. Inna usinna ila We have been sent to the people of Lot, not to you. We're just passing by. So why did you come? We gave him good news that he will have a second son. He will have a son who is knowledgeable. I'm just... There are different verses. This, this verse appears in Surah Hud and, uh, and, and the Safat and Ibrahim. And His wife, Sarah, was standing. Sarah was about nearly 90, 90 years old here. Her wife was, his wife was standing there. She's looking at what's happening. Immediately we told her, the angel said to her, you're going to have Ishaq as a son. And after Ishaq, you're going to live to see your grandson, who's going to be named Yaqub, Jacob, Israel. His real name is Israel, Israel. <gasps> Allah describes this movement. She says she was standing there when she heard them say that you're going to have a son. And after that son, a grandson, his name is Ishaq, and he's already got a name. And the other one's Yaqub, like it's set. I read the verse, it says, His wife was standing there, she started to laugh. What did she laugh about? When they said, we're being sent to the people of Lot. So it was a laugh where she's happy that someone's gone to take care of those wicked people. We'll talk about them another time. And she also laughed out of relief. <laughs> we're okay then. And then we said, you're going to have a son, and after him a grandson, Ishaq and Yaqub, 
Allah says, she screamed. And she slapped her own face. And she screamed out, I'm an old woman, I'm barren. What's this? All right. Egyptian women do it best when they scream like that. Yeah, like that. <laughs> Any Egyptians here? Oh, great news. These Egyptian weddings, I know Palestinians, other Arabs do it. You know, the, you know, the, we call it Zalhuta. When you in weddings, the women do it. I can't do it. Their tongue goes sideways and it goes really loud, almost like a, an organ player. So she screamed and hit her face and saying, Ajuz, I'm an old woman, I'm barren, how? And they said to Ata'ajabina min Amrillah, Are you amazed by what Allah can do? Allah will give you a son, he is able to do all things. So that's what they did to come to, right? And so he had his son, Ishaq, alayhi salam. Brothers and sisters, I've taken too much of your time and I went a bit too much detail today. So I still have a little bit more of uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam. We want to talk about him building the Kaaba. And uh, then we'll, uh, I think it's the last story we have, inshallah. And then we're going to move on, talk a little bit about Ishaq and Ismail. And then the story of the Prophet Lot, Lot alayhi salam. I thank you for listening. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ease all your affairs and ours and remove all hardship from your lives and ours. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.